Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, July 3rd. We had drama unfold before us on day six of the 2021 Wimbledon. We didn't have a traditional upset. It wasn't a top five seed being knocked off by a seeded player. It wasn't even a seed being upset in general, but coming into the day, According to DraftKings futures odds, according to Tennis Abstract's ladies singles forecast, Yelena Ostapenko was the third favorite to take home the Wimbledon 2021 title entering her third round match. Those title chances went up in flames today as she is knocked off in three sets by Alia Tomjanovic in a match that featured a healthy amount of drama down the home stretch. We also saw Daniil Medvedev avoid a little upset situation of his own. He was down two sets to love to Marin Cilic, had never come back from that situation in his entire career, had never earned a three-set win, a uh, five-set win, excuse me, at Wimbledon, was 0-3 in his previous five-set matches. He writes the course, though, able to find his rhythm in sets three, four, and five, avoid the upset advance to the round of 16 in this event, becomes one of just four other male players on the year to advance to the fourth round at all three Grand Slams we've seen competed at this season. We also had Barbara Krejcikova, your 2021 French Open champion, avoid an upset of her own. She escapes in three sets in a very fun match against Anastasia Sevastova. Those three going to be our match breakdowns on today's podcast, but of course, I want to run through the rest of the day's upsets, the rest of the day's notable results, give you all some brief takeaways from week one, and then, of course, course, a brief preview of what should be a fantastic Manic Monday. All of the round of 16 matches in singles scheduled for Monday at Wimbledon. We'll have a day off on Sunday. That's good for us here at Cracked Rackets. We actually scheduled our move, Westoff and I moving houses, for this specific Sunday. We were talking about, well, what's the best day to do it? I was like, you know, there's a middle Sunday at Wimbledon, and Westoff goes, that's the day we're doing then. And so we locked that bad boy in, but we will have a a podcast for you later on Sunday evening, previewing all of those Manic Monday matches. I'll just give you a brief run through today, but of course, we want to recap what was a fantastic conclusion to week one of the 2021 Wimbledon. Of course, before we can do that, I have to remind all of you listeners that the reason we are able to cover Wimbledon the way we are day in, day out, the reason we are able to provide all the coverage we do of the tennis world is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Cracked Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends over at Tennis Point. It's officially summertime, July 4th, this Sunday. If you have not already updated your gear for the summer, you need to. Before that summer quickly turns into fall, you can find all of the latest equipment at all of the best prices. And if you don't know what you need, you can turn to the staff at Tennis Point, the kindest in the business. They'll help you out. You use our promo code CR15. We can help you out as well by hooking you up with free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, 15% off your order, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. You go to tennis-point.com. That's the symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, but again, we are so grateful for their continued support. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-point.com. 
the promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's talk day six of the 2021 Wimbledon, and we have to start with Tom Janovich Ostapenko. And I know we've talked a lot about Elena Ostapenko over these past two weeks here on this podcast. Deservedly so. You look for Ostapenko here over the course of this grass court season. She was one of the players to win a title in the warm-up to this event. She won it the week before in Eastbourne. And it was a healthy level of competition as well because all of these players were trying to get as many grass court matches as they could in. They only had three weeks to prepare for this Wimbledon. She beat Pavlochenkova, Jabour, who had won the week before, Kazakina, who had made the final the week before, Rabakina, still alive in this Wimbledon, and Annette Conteve to earn the title. She had earned a win over Leila Fernandez. It was coming off of a fantastic Eight 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 six. Leave that in Westoff. Hey, great shot. Eight six victory over uh, Daria Kasakina in the second round of this event, but. Look, Alia Tamjanovic had played some good ball in her first two matches as well. She beats Hrith Minin 6-2-7-6 in round one, and then a fantastic three-set win over an in-form Alize Cornet in round two. Of course, Cornet blitzed through Bianca Andrescu in round number one of this event, and look... It, there are two, I think, key moments we have to discuss in this match. The first is the rain delay that came uh, amidst that first set, or I should say, you know, towards the end of set one, beginning of set number two. Ostapenko was cruising before that rain delay came. She had found her rhythm. She was hitting the return cleanly. She had found the rhythm in the Tamjanovic base when they were in baseline rallies as well. And it was a very interesting game plan from Alia Tamjanovic in this match. She hit a lot of balls down the center of the court in this one. Didn't want to give Ostapenko any angles to work with. Didn't want to give her any pace to work with, any elevation on her shot. Just wanted to keep the ball low, flat, and down the center of the court. Force Ostapenko into making a choice, whether it's to move your feet, play the inside-out forehand, the cross-court forehand, make sure her body is closed, or, you know, Ostapenko loves to hit that backhand when she's stretched because she is so good at taking it down the line, but she has enough firepower to beat you cross-court as well. Now, if there's any criticism for Yelena Ostapenko, it's certainly that she plays at one speed, and when she started to get frustrated in this match, particularly in the third set when things were breaking against her, there were a lot of errors repeatedly. She tried to hit her way out of problems, and it's a credit to Tamjanovic, put a ton of pressure on her, asked every question of Ostapenko in this match, and just put a lot of balls in play, made a high percentage of her first serves as well. You look at the stats in this one for uh, Alia Tamjanovic, she's able to make over 60% of her first serves. You look for Tamjanovic in terms of Again, the splits for her first, second serve differential. A ton of success for her in this match. You look overall for Alia Tamjanovic in the end. She's able to win, as I mentioned, uh, over 60% of her first serve points. She's able to win a healthy number of her second serves as well. 67%. You look for Ostapenko in this match. Yes, she made 63% of her first serves, but she won only 56% of her first serve points. Only won 48% of her second Second serve points, Tamjanovic, 7 of 13 on breakpoint chances. Ostapenko was 5 of 6, but a lot of those came early in the match. And again, that rain delay sort of soaked the momentum away from Yelena Ostapenko. And I know that's a, uh, I suppose, uh, the, the word that comes to mind is cheesy. That's a cheesy thing to say, but you look for Yelena Ostapenko in this match. 
Uh, again, you, you could sort of see the seven matches she had played in the previous 10 days add up as they made the turn into set number three because she was rushing. She was trying to end points early, and it's a credit to Tomjanovic who, uh, when I say she was playing down the center, that's not to say if the opportunity presented itself if she hit a big first serve or Ostapenko left a drop shot floating that she wouldn't go down the line or go for the winner or mix in a drop shot as well. She did a really good job of staying balanced in this match, but... You know, as always, the match was on Ostapenko's racket, and after she got broken back in that second set because she goes up a quick two-love break lead, and it looked like she was going to cruise in the match, and you know, she actually had her chance for all love 30 second set in the Tomjanovic service game. Again, Elena Ostapenko builds a love 30 lead and just makes a couple of forehand errors, and has the opportunity to put a swinging backhand volley away. She misses it wide. And then, again, it was a forehand down the line. She missed it long and wide as well. And there were balls she absolutely could have made, but she didn't. Tamjanovic is able to hold. Then a couple of forehand errors in Ostapenko's service game. All of a sudden, she had split sets. And you could see the frustration immediately after the split. And when does the drama come? For love, Tamjanovic takes a lead in the third set. And Ostapenko calls an injury break. And it was after Ostapenko had been broken and, uh, you know, before Tomjanovic goes to the service line. And Tomjanovic has all of the momentum in the match at this point. And Ostapenko says to the chair umpire, I cannot play anymore. I have severe ab pain. I need to see the trainer. I need an off-court medical timeout right now. And the trainer grants it. uh, The trainer, excuse me, the chair umpire grants it to her. And Tomjanovic was furious. She said, I tried to do the same thing, and I was told I have to wait either until a changeover or until it's my service game. And my service game, meaning the person taking the injury timeout, is disrupting the pace of their own service game by taking that injury timeout. In this case, it was Ostapenko taking a timeout during the Tomjanovic service game. And Tomjanovic was justifiably furious. She had all the momentum on her side. She could see the finish line. And with someone like Yelena Ostapenko, who runs so hot, so cold, when you have her not playing her best tennis and you happen to be in a good rhythm and putting a bunch of balls in the court, why would you want the match to stop? And, you know, again... Uh, it's it's never the best thing, and I, you can understand the frustration. I'm not criticizing Tomjanovic, but I can understand why Ostapenko was not happy after the match when Tomjanovic openly says to the chair umpire, you know she's lying about her injury, right? And I'm not going to comment on the efficacy of that statement, whether Ostapenko really did have an ab injury or not. I will say Ostapenko was certainly swinging freely throughout the course of the match, but perhaps the rushed nature in that third set was that she was nursing an injury and she had to play points a little bit quicker because just physically seven matches in 10 days, you could understand if Ostapenko's body is a bit weary at this point. At the same time, there is some merit to Tamjanovic's statement in that, hey, it's my service game. If she wants to take an injury timeout at 5-0 when it's the changeover, that's fine. But it's my service game, and you are disrupting my rhythm, and you can't do that. And it's not like there was a previous medical timeout. It came out of nowhere. And you can understand the frustration. And again, Tomjanovic openly saying to the chair umpire right in front of Ostapenko, she's waiting for the trainer to come. You know she's lying, inferring lying about her injury, right? That was always going to set the flames off. And Ostapenko, after the match, I believe she says, what is it? You're, you're disrespectful 
respectful or something like that. She says, you're the least respectful. I have the quote here. She says, if you think I am faking, you can talk to the physio, Tomjanovic, sort of sarcastically. I hope you feel better, Ostapenko. Your behavior is terrible. You have zero respect, Tomjanovic. You are the one to talk. What? So bad, so bad. In fact, we just have Westoff. He may have edited all that out. We can have Westoff now play the clip of Ostapenko and uh, Tomjanovic's exchange at the end of the match. Westoff, roll that clip for us, please. Your behavior is terrible, terrible. You have zero respect, yes? What? You can have an injury. So as you can see, yeah, I, I mean, some tension there at the end. That's drama, and look, it's a high pressure moment. It's a high pressure opportunity. Uh, it's a high pressure stage. There's always going to be tension, and I don't think either of these players handled this particularly well. But look, ultimately, you have to give credit to Alia Tamjanovic. She was able to put a bunch of balls in the court in this match. She was able to make the match physical. She moved really well in this match. Comfortable in the outer thirds. Comfortable going down the line. Comfortable. You know, hitting that slice and just forcing Ostapenko to move forward, be decisive, make a choice. And again, this match was on Ostapenko's racket. She had 25 winners to uh, Tamjanovic's 14, but she had 37 unforced errors to Tamjanovic's 11. Tamjanovic allowed Ostapenko to lose her grip in this match, or she forced Ostapenko to, you know, or I guess to break, she broke Ostapenko's rhythm. She forced Ostapenko, she played through the hot portions, the hot streaks of Ostapenko, and ultimately wore Ostapenko down, and she advances, and you look for Alia Tamjanovic now over her last 52 the numbers don't blow you away. She's 19 and 20 in her last 52. You look for her in terms of breaking down the splits, 3 and 13 against top 50 opponents. Now, some of those top 50 opponents, she lost twice to Pavlochenkova. She's lost to Halep. She's lost to Rabakina. She's lost to Sabalenka. She's lost to Kudermatova. She's lost to Kerber. She's lost some three set matches as well. It's not like she's losing to the outer fringes of the top 50, but 3 and 13 is not going to get the job done. And that's why right now she's down to number 75 in the world off of her career ranking, career high ranking of number 39, which she reached in 2019. But you look for the now 28-year-old. She's won 55% of her career matches on hard courts, 57% of her career matches on clay. She's now 28 and 23. She's won 55% of her matches on a grass court. You can understand why. She can do a little bit of everything. She doesn't have the biggest serve, but it's a quality first serve. She lands it at a high percentage. It allows her opportunities to play a plus one. She's not going to overwhelm you with your pace, uh, with her pace, but she's going to put that approach out in the court. She's going to force you to hit an extra ball. And yeah, sometimes when she's stretched, she'll hit the slice. But again, she's going to force you to put the ball away. She's not going to give you the error. That's why her game translates so well across surfaces. And you look for Tomjanovic now. She's into... Uh, the second round of 16 at a major in her career. It comes seven years apart. The last time she did it, 2014, Roland Garros. She beats Aga Radwanska in round number three, then four and four to advance to the round of 16. She lost that round of 16, but she's going to be a heavy favorite in her next round of 16 match as she takes on a uh, young British sensation uh, who advanced today in Emma Raducanu, uh, Raducanu, excuse me, who advanced over Kirstea 
in straight sets. And yes, folks, I finally learned how to pronounce the name. It's Radakanu. Uh, but you look for Tomjanovic. She's got a serious opportunity now to advance to her first Grand Slam quarterfinal. And we saw eight first-time quarterfinalists at the 2021 French Open. When there's a generational shift occurring, the sort of generational shift we talked about on yesterday's Mini Break podcast, it makes sense that you'll see the occasional first-time slam appearance sneak through. Someone who's just solid in the mix. And as he players try to figure out and find their rhythm in the first weeks of slams. Tom Janovic is a player who's played a ton of slams. That experience manifests itself at this Wimbledon. She's into the round of 16 here for the first time. She advances 4-6-6-4-6-2 over Yelena Ostapenko. You certainly feel if you're an Ostapenko fan, if you're in the Ostapenko camp, that it was an opportunity wasted. But nevertheless, credit to Tom Janovic. She survives in the end three sets, advances two. The round of 16. Speaking of survival, that's what you got to describe Daniil Medvedev's performance against Marin Cilic as today. It was a survival as he ultimately comes back from two sets to love down to advance in this match. You look for Daniil Medvedev ultimately a 6-7-3-6-6-3-6-3-6-2 match. It was two completely different phases of this match. There was phase number one where the fact that Daniil Medvedev doesn't put the most pace on his rally ball, that that ball can hang up. And if you're an aggressive baseliner like this stage of Marin Cilic in particular is, who's looking to crack the ball the moment he sees even the slightest sliver of opportunity, who's looking to hit big forehands at any point in the rally and capitalize and play plus one balls. And if you're going to give him 15 feet of space by standing that far behind the baseline with the return of serve, he's going to take that time and space away from you. That was Marin Cilic through sets one and two and he was landing the big forehand and that first serve that looked like a guy who's six foot six and has that sort of wingspan has that sort of natural pop on the ball it looked like a former Wimbledon finalist but then two things happened a Daniil Medvedev settled in Physically, he has that Djokovician quality. You've heard me say it all week long. That ability to make matches physical, even on this surface, he puts every, not every return, but he puts 80% of his returns in the court. There's a reason he's the only player right now who's top five in tennis abstracts leaderboard in both hold percentage and break percentage. And you look for him in this match. He still made 61% of his first serves, won 74% of his first serve points, only won 43% of his second serve points, and that's a credit to Chilich who looked to t- uh, find big forehands and swung freely at those big forehand cuts on second serve returns, but Medvedev also held uh, Chilich to a 48% win percent win percentage on second serves, and Chilich had to hit more second serves in this match than Medvedev did. Medvedev ultimately 8 of 15 on breakpoint chances, Chilich 5 of 8 for the match. Again, once Medvedev locked in physically, was moving a little bit more freely in the outer thirds, was getting a little bit more depth when Chilich forced him into the outer thirds, was hitting his passing shot better, his drop shot, which Chilich was tracking down really well in sets one and two. It was it was a great performance from Chilich in those first two sets. He was in control playing on his terms, but he slowly wore down over the course of this match, and that's what Daniil Medvedev can do to you. And, you know, again... 
Chilich also lost his form. Uh, you know, he went from hitting winners on the fourth ball in a rally to missing the forehand well wide on the fourth shot of the rally, and the shank count started to pick up. He just missed hitting balls left and right, and there was a weird challenge early on in the third set where the ball was clearly out, and he challenged it anyways, and, you know, the shot spot confirmed the ball was out that he had hit, and it kind of just flustered him, and there were a couple of challenges, and, you know, there were a couple of calls that the people on the lines got wrong, and I think that got a little bit under Chilich's skin, but you know what else gets under your skin? When you're playing a guy who's six foot six but moves that fluidly around the court, can seemingly track down every big forehand you hit, and then hit the ball to the open space, you put all of your weight momentum into taking this ball early on the rise. Medvedev tracks it down and then beats you to the next spot, cross court or down the line, whatever it may be, or he'll hit some funky on the run drop shot. And then, you know, again, the guy serves like prime, uh, you know, not quite prime John Isner, but in that neighborhood holds over 87% of the time. Again, a top five number. Medvedev raised his game as this match went on, and it corresponded with a Chilich drop in level. And again, for Daniil Medvedev, the big number here now, after being 0-6 in his first six five-set matches, he's won his last two. Five-set win over Krajinovic in Australia. Now a five-set win, his first from two sets to love down against Chilich here at Wimbledon. You look at the metrics for Daniil Medvedev, and I know I've mentioned them before, so I'll just run through it. 49-13 and 13 in his last 52. That's a 79% win percentage. That's what it looks like when a player's hitting their prime. He's also 12-3 and three against top 10 opponents, 16-5 and five against top 20 opponents, 26 and 11 against top 50 opponents. You look for him now across surfaces in his career. He's won 71% of his hard court matches, 60% of his clay court matches. Of course, that's a cross level, not ATP level where he's a little bit lower. And then 70% of his grass court matches, those are elite numbers. Those are, dare I say, you know, Djokovic is in that 80% number. That's why he's the GOAT. But Medvedev's in that 70% number, or, you know, 60% or higher. I think that clay number is only going to increase as his career continues along. That's what makes him elite, is that this game, his physical traits, it just works across surfaces. In particular, it seems amplified in the three out of five set format. You look for him now. Since the start of the, or we'll say since the 2019 breakthrough he made at the U.S. Open, where he makes that final, he goes fourth round Australia semifinals U.S. Open, first round loss Fuchovic at Roland Garros, but then this year finals Australia, quarterfinals Roland Garros, round of 16 Wimbledon. Again, there are four players on the men's side. I mentioned this stat. I'll name the guys now who have made the fourth round or further at each of the majors this season. It's Novak Djokovic. Alex Zverev, Matteo Berrettini, and Daniil Medvedev. If I say those are your four best players right now in men's tennis, who are you, who am I missing? I'm missing Nadal. Uh, I'm missing Tsitsipas, Rublev, and Federer on the outskirts. Like that's a pretty good core four. Those are the guys right now who seem to matter most. And obviously, and this is not breaking news. This is not a hot take or a fresh take even. But Daniel Medvedev is one of the four or five guys who matters most in men's tennis. If he's in the draw, you have to take note and you have to consider him a threat to win the tournament. And now he's got a really fun matchup against Hubie Hercots because Hubie's not a guy who's afraid to take the ball down the line early in the rally. He'll do that. He'll go big down the line. He'll get to the net. He'll force Medvedev to be in the outer thirds, hit those ridiculous passes that Medvedev can. But of course, over the course out of three out of five sets on this surface, that could be a problem. 
And Hercats has a big weapon in a first serve, and certainly Medvedev will likely employ the tactic of being 15 feet behind the baseline, and Hercats will throw in the serve and volley. He'll take that space. He'll take that time. He'll just make the first volley to the open court and force Medvedev to hit something special, and sometimes Medvedev can come up. A lot of the times he can come up with something special, but that match could feature a lot of pressure on him if Hercats continues to serve well. Hercats, the only guy who has yet to be broken in this tournament. I think only player male or female who has yet to be broken in this tournament and you look for Hubi, he's into the first round of 16 at a slam in his career coming off of a three-set win over Sasha Bublik where he just played efficient damn good tennis again hasn't been broken at this event but that's a really fun matchup and certainly for Medvedev he's proven he can do it at across surfaces he's proven now he can come back from a two sets to love deficit these are all of the little check marks all of the little boxes year-end championships finals at a grand slam masters titles he's done everything but win that grand slam title this is a player ascending to his prime and that prime level is good enough to compete and honestly let's let's be clear here we We all think he's going to win a Grand Slam title. It's win, not if. Uh, He has checked off all of the boxes. This uh, This is the sort of performance you expect to see from a guy who has solidified himself at the top of the game. He overcomes his not best tennis at the start of the match. He advances over five sets over Marin Cilic, who again, looked really good those first two sets, but the older you get, the most more difficult it becomes to do it in set three, in set four, in set five. Uh, certainly, he wasn't quite able to do so today, but that's a lot of credit to Medvedev, who put a ton of pressure on him. Medvedev able to advance in five sets to the round of 16. Last breakdown I want to do is another player who got pushed the distance today. Barbara Krejcikova, your 2021 French Open champion, who has still not played that many WTA-level matches in general in her career, but you look for her in terms of main draw appearances at Grand Slams. She's only made six now in her career. The first was the 2018 French Open. She then made main draws at the 2020 Australian Open, 2020 French Open, 2021 Australian Open, obviously 2021 Roland Garros, and now here at Wimbledon. And yet, you look at her results, third round of 16 for her in six Grand Slams. That's pretty damn efficient, and I know she's a little bit older than your typical player who's making their first six Grand Slam appearances and ultimately earns a Grand Slam title, but Hey, she's only 25 years old still this season, you know, five to seven really more good years of tennis potentially ahead of her, and she's into another round of 16 on a different surface, and this time it's a 7-6, 3-6, 7-5 win over Anastasia Sevastova in a match where Krejcikova was clearly hurting physically, and she's put a lot of tennis on her body over the last 52 weeks. She's played 51 matches. She's now, uh, excuse me, she's played more than 51 matches. She has played now uh, 62 matches, 46 and 16 over that span, so she's winning 74% of them, but it's a lot of tennis. That's a full season's worth of tennis over the past year and of course we've still got half a season to go here so that's a number certainly to monitor and that's something to monitor for all of the players but that's something we will talk about on this mini break after this Wimbledon concludes but I mean you look for Krejcikova now she's won what I think four plus seven is 11 plus five is 16 16 consecutive matches now she won the title in Strasbourg leading up to Roland Garros she wins Roland Garros now the win here 
excuse me, 15 matches. She has the chance to win 16 over Barty in the round of 16. But you look for Krejcikova, that game's just so well-rounded. Forehand wing, backhand wing, cross court, down the line, drive, short angle, heavy topspin, defensive shots out of the corners, whether they're slice, whether they're elevated moon ball, whether it's the fact that I swear to God, I don't think I've ever seen Barbara Krejcikova miss an approach shot. And it's, again, it's not Sabalenka or Rybakina blasted by you approach shots, but they're always well-placed. They always have good depth and they allow her a chance to hit her first volley. And she's a doubles champion, former doubles world number one. When she gets a chance to hit a first volley, 90% of the time she's making that first volley, 88% of the time she's putting that first volley away. Her game is really efficient across surfaces. And, you know, again, against Sevastova, that was a fun match because they both do a lot of things well. They're both comfortable playing slice off of both wings, forehand chops, backhand chops. If you do chop it to them, though, that other, the player who receives the chop will get their feet around the ball and will tee off on a ground stroke. And I would say the Sevastova forehand was the most effective shot in this match. Krejcikova probably can hit it with a little more pace when she really turns into it. But when Sevastova gets her feet around the ball, can set them and turn into her forehand, it's just so unpredictable. Down the line, cross court, inside in, inside out, she can do it all. And she hits it so decisively as well. And she does such a good job of disguising it with her body position. And then again, she'll hit three slices in a row before blasting a backhand down the line. She just makes you uncomfortable. She made a high percentage of first serves in this match, kept kept Krejcikova honest down the home stretch of that third set. They were trading holds, not breaks down the stretch there. But Krejcikova kept putting pressure on her. Krejcikova kept making returns. Krejcikova had more success attacking the Sevastova second serve than conversely. You look at the numbers in this match. Krejcikova able to win 63% of her second serve points. Sevastova in this match able to only win 50 of them. But look, this was an either-or match. Krejcikova 110 points. Sevastova 108. Sevastova held serving held strokes, uh, held form with Krejcikova. They played on even terms. Sevastova had her chances in that third set, but just, you know, it felt like whenever Barbara Krejcikova needed it, uh, she was able to get a look at an approach shot. And again, it was the depth of her approach shots. Sevastova would have to come up with some ridiculous passes. And occasionally she was able to do it, but only occasionally. Krejcikova's game, you could tell the emotion on her face getting to the round of 16, what that means to her to do it at another slam, to do it at this slam in particular, her game translates across surfaces. She's able to play on her front foot. She's athletic enough and a comfortable enough mover on any surface to play on her back foot as well. She plays high percentage tennis. She just doesn't beat herself. And yet when the opportunity presents itself, she's not tentative. She can play on her front foot, get to the net comfortably as well. This was a fantastic test. Again, Sevastova played really well in this event, but ultimately... Krejcikova, 7-6-3-6-7-5. She is able to advance to the round of 16. And again, all of the numbers for Krejcikova, 46-16 and 16 in her last 52, 12-9 against top 50, 4-6 against top 20, 2-1 against top 10 opponents. Is she a lock to be top 5, top 10 for the remainder of her career? It's not. I'm not ready to say that, but she's currently number 17 in the rankings. She's number 2 in 2021 ELO. She falls somewhere in between. She's probably in that 6 to 12 range, in that 
you know, you think a prime Osaka, an informed, uh, really informed Sabalenka, some of those players with some big weapons, they probably, their ma- the match is on their rackets, even in Iga. You feel like if an Iga is playing her best tennis, the match is on that racket. But Krejcikova puts so much pressure on you. If you're not playing your absolute best, she's likely going to beat you because the deviation between her ceiling and her floor, not that big, but that floor as a player for her, very, very high. We'd say a top 20, top 15 player for the foreseeable future. She advances to the round of 16 here at the 2021 Wimbledon, and now interesting test for her, certainly. She's going to take on another former double slam champion in Ashley Barty. That could be one of your matches of Manic Monday, but Barbara Krejcikova, three-set win she advances over Anastasia Sevastova. Speaking of advancing, look, there are things all of us in our lives can do a little bit better. For me, it's probably timeliness. I wish I was better at being on time at places. Unfortunately, I like to, you know, every so often you're responding to a text, you're responding to a call. I would say five to 10 minutes late. That's, that's the zone I live in. And, you know, there's always a text beforehand. I'll try and let people know if I am coming a little bit late and it's something I know I have to get better at. And for the big stuff, I, I, I like to think I am on time, but that is something I am trying to improve on, something I know I can always improve on as well my grooming habits. And it's perhaps because I didn't have the right tools to put myself in the best position to succeed. And thankfully, I don't have to worry about that anymore when it comes to my below-the-waist grooming needs because I have our friends at Manscaped now who have provided us here at Cracked Rackets with their latest products. That includes, of course, their brand new Lawn Mower 4.0. Of course, if you don't know about Manscaped, they're the best in the world in helping men, below, in helping men with their below-the-waist grooming needs. They offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels and just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, folks. The 4.0. You can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their below-the-waist grooming needs. If you use our exclusive offer at manscaped.com, our promo code NEWBALLS, please, you'll get 20% off your order plus free worldwide shipping. Again, that code new balls, please, at manscaped.com. 20% off plus free worldwide shipping. Make shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. Manscaped.com. The promo code is new balls, please. With that in mind, let's run through the rest of our results here on day six of this Wimbledon. You look across the board again, it's tough to call anything an upset at this point. Everyone who's gotten to this stage certainly has played some good ball, and that's what makes I think this week, too, in particular, very, very exciting at Wimbledon. By seeds, technically, Mukova over Pavlochenkova is an upset, but you look for the 19th seed Mukova, who knocks off Pavlochenkova, 7-5-6-3. She now becomes uh, one of just a few players, and in fact, I have the list for you here. She joins the company of uh, Sabalenka, Sviantek, Jabur, Mertens, and Serana Kirstea, along with Karolina Mukova, the six women who have made the third round of all three majors this year. Again, only six women have made the uh, third round of all three majors. Sviantek, Sabalenka, Jabur, Mertens, Kirstea, and Karolina Mukova, who now advances to her second, fourth round of the year with that 5-3 and three win again over 2021 French Open finalist Anastasia Pavlochenkova. 
technically no upsets on the men's side as Medvedev's able to avoid that two sets to love gap. So that's your only upset on the women's side. And again, Mukova, talk about another player very similar to Krejcikova, can do a little bit of everything. Solid off of both wings, comfortable moving forward, rock-solid athlete, not an elite mover by any stretch of the imagination, but a very, very good one. I don't know why I said any stretch of the imagination. She's not the elite. It's not elite speed, but it's very good speed. She's comfortable moving forward, comfortable playing slice. I would say a good volleyer who knows where to do and what to do uh, as well when she's there. And that was just a well-rounded win for her. And again, she is now into the fourth round. Joining her will be top seed Ashley Barty. Little bit of drama at the end. She served for the match up five four gets broken but ultimately breaks back holds for a 6-3-7-5 win over Katarina Sinyakova. You also had a win in straight sets from Coco Goff 3 and 3 over Kaya Yuvan. Emma Radican uh, uh the young British talent 3 and 5 over Serana Kirstea. Her ability to embrace that Wimbledon crowd. I don't know why more British players don't do it that overtly. Andy Murray down the home stretch certainly did, but you know, it felt like Dan Evans against Korda and certainly when you're playing Roger Federer it's a little bit tough, but Cam Norrie against Federer Embrace your your home crowd. These fans are just excited, as excited to be back cheering for you as you are to have them back in the stands. And Radakanu did such a good job of just every time she hit a winner, and that was what she did so well in this match. Take the ball so early on the rise, forehand, backhand, wing. It didn't matter. Now uh, she was able to get those plus one opportunities on her own serve particularly well. And that first serve is absolutely a weapon. I do think you know again if you have a little bit more pace, you can get the ball into her body, not allow her to take that ball on the rise. She'll shank the ball or leave it a little bit short, leave it attackable. She's got that sort of there's a, there's an innocence to her speed and like no one's told her hey if you don't have a clean look at the ball like you don't have to try and track everything down but she doesn't learn that yet and so she does try to track everything down and I actually think you look at Radakanu how well she moved on this grass surface the speed of her first step the quickness she displayed as well I think even more encouraging than her ability to take the ball on the rise and early is her ability as an athlete that movement was the biggest takeaway for me but Look, she just kept attacking Serana Kirstea in this match. And you ma- I mentioned that list of six. Serana Kirstea, probably the surprise name on the list of six women who have made the third round at every slam. But that speaks to the consistency with which Serana Kirstea has played this year. And Radakano took it to her. The stage was not too big for her. She becomes the youngest British woman in history to advance to the round of 16 at this event. I mean, in the open era, that's... It was stunning, and again, seeing her embrace the crowd, having a crowd there to embrace her, that's the thing that we've all missed the most over these past nine months, so... Again, that's the magic of Wimbledon sort of encaptured in one fantastic match, Emma Raducanu advancing to the round of 16, where again, she's got Tomjanovic. She didn't draw a seed. Like of all the players she could have drawn, she's probably pretty happy with that draw. She can talk herself into thinking, I, I can absolutely beat Tomjanovic. There's no overwhelming weapon. It's not a Sabalenka who's just going to hit the ball through me. It's not a Barty where I just can't hang with that level of physicality yet. 
it's going to be a really fun match, and I it'll be interesting to see if the schedulers put her on center court. Certainly, she's the last British player in the singles draw. One could imagine they might just do so. That's a fascinating match, and again, a fantastic result from Emma Ronakanu, who wasn't a former Slam finalist, wasn't even a former Junior Slam finalist, wasn't even a former top ten junior, but she is a former top thirty junior, slowly ascending her way up the pro ranks. Certainly, making a round of sixteen at a Slam will help. She makes the most of her wild card into the round of 16 here at this 2021 Wimbledon. Your other winners on the day, two three-set winners. Angelique Kerber lost the first set 6-2 to Sasnovich, quickly found her way. She will very much enjoy having this Sunday off, but a 2-6, 6-love, 6-1 win for her. And then Paula Bedosa-Jabert continues to display, much like Mukova, much like Krejcikova, she can do a little bit of everything. In her game, a little bit more baseline oriented, a little bit more defensive than those other two, but I would argue she's just as good, if not perhaps a slightly better mover, a little bit more length than those other two, and ultimately just, you know, too much for Magda Lynette. Five seven six four six two. just wore Lynette down physically, and Lynette has played two fantastic matches, right? She beats Anisimova, she beats Svitolina. To get to that that third round, but you know, that's two physical matches just as draining mentally as that they were physically in. Bedosa just kept applying pressure, kept extending rallies, kept going down the line, kept attacking second serves. Ultimately, it won out in the end. She advances to the round of 16 at Wimbledon for the first time in her career back-to-back round of 16 for her at slams for the first time in her career as well. Those were your women's results on the day on the men's side. Again, no upsets, but you did see a couple of top six seeds lose sets. Let's start with Federer, 6-4, 6-4, 5-7, 6-4 over Cam Norrie. I had predicted on the GSP ace of the day that Norrie would knock off Federer. I also predicted the match would go over three and a half sets. We got that one right. We got the match actual winner prediction incorrect, and that's a testament to that Federer serve. Won 74% of his first serve points, 65% of his second serve points, only faced four break points on the day. Norrie was 2-4 of four on those break point chances, but... Federer played that beautiful attacking first strike, get to the net, keep your opponent on their back foot, give them an opportunity to hit a passing shot, fine, but that's all they're going to have the chance to do, and on a grass court, that's the toughest thing to do is have success in the outer thirds consistently over the course of a three out of five set match. You know, Federer just put so much pressure on Nori, and ultimately 6-4, 6-4, 5-7, 6-4, he advances. This was the highest level I've seen from him in this tournament, and was it a high enough level for me to think, oh yeah, he can absolutely push a Djokovic in a final. No, it wasn't. It's still not. Like, I'm sorry to any Roger Federer fan listening, but I still need to see a little bit more from him before I can even fathom the possibility that he's going to win this event. But guess what? Half the battle of winning the event is getting to the second week. And you know who I would not want to play in the second week of Wimbledon? A rounding into form Roger Federer. Now, he has played, what, uh, four sets, three sets, seven, four, 11 sets in this first week of play. That's a lot of tennis on his body, and we saw how he responded at the French Open, but it's been quicker tennis, slightly less physical, and again, you could just see the emotion on his face after he won this match. Normally, for a guy who's now, by the way, 18-0 and in round of 32 matches, my little brother just turned 19 in April. He's essentially a Nicholas in Wimbledon round of 32 matches, 18-0 and for his career. He's dropped just seven total sets in the round in his career. 
But there was an emotion on his face after the match, the celebration he let out. He was amped up to be back in the second week of a slam, and you can understand why. The guy was 7-3 in in the 10 matches he has played since coming back from injury. And, you know, you look at those matches, what, six of them have gone at, you know, at least three sets or, you know, not including the slam and, you know, the slam matches, the four setters, the five setters, etc. This was his best performance against a very much informed Cam Norrie. And I mentioned that stat on the women's side, Six women have made the third round or later at each of the slams thus far this year. You look for it on the men's side. There have been seven men who have done it. It's Djokovic, Zverev, Medvedev, Berrettini, Schwartzman, Fabio Fonini, and Cam Nori. And so even though Nori loses this match in four sets, let's give credit where credit is due. He's established himself as a top 32 player. In the year's three biggest events, he's been one of the final 32. He's had the the uh, subsequent success week in, week out, making three finals. And just, again, he's competed across all three surfaces as well. Cam Nori is going to be very good for the rest of his ATP career. He's found his rhythm, just such a tough out, can do a little bit of everything as well. I honestly don't think a Mukova comparison for him is that bad. Obviously, he's a lefty version of it, but it's not a bad comp in terms of, you want the, that men's, women's comparison, other than the fact they're not lefties, but just, again, the way they can move forward, the way they move the ball around the court, the way they're good, not great movers, but certainly movement never going to be an issue, the degree of physicality. Anyways, Good performance from Nori. Best tennis from Roger Federer. He advances to the round of 16 with and now awaits a date with Lorenzo Sanego, who makes a second uh, round of 16 in his career. First one was French Open last year. He now makes it to the round of 16 with a 6-3, 6-4, 6-4 victory over James Duckworth. You look at your other winners on the day. Zverev, 6-7, 6-4, 6-3, 7-6 over Taylor Fritz. Shout out to Fritz. The serve... It works. The ground strokes, He's when he gets to set his feet, when there's a ball in the center of the court, he strikes the ball as well as anyone in the men's game. But again, it's it's the physicality. It's the in-the-outer third. Zverev was just way better than him. Zverev could match his pace from the ground. The backhand exchanges they shared made that matchup really, really fun. Another round of 16 for Zverev. Let's be clear. That's seven round of 16s now consecutively for Zverev at the slams. Nine out of his last 10 as well. Safe to say he's entered his prime. Now, whether he hits his ceiling, whether he becomes the multi-time Grand Slam champion we've all projected him to be since he walked onto the tour as an 18-year-old and cracked the top 30, that's one of the questions that defines the next decade of the ATP Tour. And again, I'm not in, without endorsing him personally, it would be disingenuous for me to talk about men's tennis to try and report on what's happening without discussing Alex Virov, who is one of the defining players of this decade. He's shown it consistently, fourth round, seven consecutive, nine out of ten. You only do that if you are the elite of the elite. And from a tennis perspective, he is right now on the ATP Tour. And so, again, four-set win for him over Fritz to advance, for Fritz to even make the third round three weeks after knee surgery, a testament to him. But ultimately, Zverev, too good. You look at the other players who have advanced. Berrettini, 6-4, 6-4, 6-4 over Badene. He advances in straights. Hercots, as mentioned, 3-4 and 2. Only two breaks of serve in sets one and two. It was the one break Hercots got, excuse me, in each set. Just this surface, the creativity, 
the big first serve, the length on the return, the fact that his forehand just seems to land shorter than his opponents always expect, and because you get bad bounces on a grass, it's then tough for them to get to that next ball, and they give him an attackable ball, and then he hits that ball bigger than you think, or he drives that slice deeper than you think, and his hands at the net, his feel, his ability to move while he's up there, read and react. I'm not going to go as far as to call him elite yet, but he's got all the characteristics and the feel to be elite when he's in the prime of his career it was just a perfect matchup for him uh, with Bublik because he's better at all the creative stuff than Sasha Bublik and what he lacks in that super explosion of Bublik he makes up for in his slightly better discipline in the fact that he does just put more balls in the court he's probably a better mover as well a lot of drop shots in that match a lot of slice a lot of creativity it was a very very fun one and Hercats was just better at Bub- than Bublik from start to finish there was a ton of respect between the two players as well it was just a fun match Hercats ultimately advances in straight shout out to Ilya Ivashka as well you look for Ivashka now over these last 52 weeks guy's been an absolute stud 43 and 19 currently ranked number 79 that's a career high for the 27 year old he's into the round of 16 for the first time in his career at Wimbledon 4-4 and 4 over Thompson and then certainly the disappointment of the day number 16 seed Felix Ogier Aliasim 2-6-6-1 retirement victory over Nick Kyrgios look an injury is an injury and it sucks and it's unpreventable but I don't want to say unpreventable because we all know what Nick Nick Kyrgios does not train for ATP events for an event like Wimbledon the way 95% of the tour trains the way you could argue 98% of the tour trains he's not playing week in week out he's not playing warm up events he uh, you know I'm not saying he doesn't train and do the lifting and do the conditioning at home but when you haven't played a match in 7 months with the explosiveness and the violence of his serve and you expect your body to hold up for two weeks with, again, the physicality we now see imposed at this level of the game, good luck. Like, it's just not going to hold up. And unfortunately, that injury, again, with his serve, I was having this conversation off mic. Um, My shoulder is broken now when I try and hit serves. And, you know, I'm lucky if I hit my serves 100 miles per hour. He hits his serve 145. And to just do that after seven months of not doing it for the course of three out of five set with that sort of pressure and intensity... Your body's not going to hold up. And so unfortunately, while this pullout did feel inevitable, it is still just another reminder how talented Nick Kyrgios can be. Now on the flip side, FAA has made the fourth round at three out of the four slams. Eight ATP finals, fourth round at three out of the four slams, all before the age of 21. Like, come on. Again, if you're selling the stock at Great Shot Pod, I'll buy it from you. Happy to sit on that stock over the next decade. But those are your players who advance on day six to the second week of this Wimbledon, and that sets up a fantastic Manic Monday. And again, I just want to read these matches for all of you. We'll do a further preview podcast tomorrow. But on the women's side, Barty Krejcikova. Come on, we're in. Radakanu versus Tamjanovic, given the Radakanu story, given how well Tamjanovic is playing a chance to make her first quarterfinal that match, has appeal. Mukova Budosa, those are two players who do a lot of things really well. That match is going to get physical. That one's really, really fun. Goff Kerber, hello. I mean, that's like 
do I need to say any more? Kerber can win this event, and you know what's crazy? So could Coco Goff. Carolina Pliskova is at her most dangerous when no one's talking about her, and no one is talking about her right now. But if she knocks off a 15-3 and in her career on grass courts, Ludmilla Samsonova, who's coming off of three set wins impressively, in impressive fashion over Stevens and Pegula, if Pliskova wins that match comfortably into the quarterfinals, I'm not saying we're going to talk about her, oh man, like she could win this event, but that would be a much needed and sneaky good performance for Pliskova. And by the way, if she wins that match, she would face the winner of Keys and Golubic. Those are two opponents she can beat. Like, semifinals is in the card for Carolina Pliskova. And then once you're in the semifinals, I mean, again, given the experience level of all of these players in the draw, anything can happen. You look at the players, Barty has won one Grand Slam. Kerber's won three, but it's been a while. Sviantek's won one slam. That's it. That's your Grand Slam winning experience left in the Krejcikova. One slam as well. I can't believe I forgot her. Excuse me. Hey, great shot. But, like, it's wide open. Pliskova's shot. Pliskova's got a shot to do it, which is crazy to say, and I definitely just jinxed her. And Samsonova's got the firepower certainly to expose the weakness that is Carolina Pliskova's movement. But that's a really fun match. And then Keys Golubic. Keys serving to that one-handed backhand of Golubic. I'm fascinated to see how that matchup unfolds. And then your arguably two best matches on the day. Shviantek, Jabor. They both can win this event. Sabalenka, Rabakina. If you like power tennis. Ugh. That one's going to be fun. Explosive, explosive matches, again, on the women's side. I would argue Sabalenka, Rabakina. I mean, I would be lying if I said I was watching any other match most closely. If that match is on, I will be watching it more than any other match. The next closest would probably be FAA and Zverev because those are two guys that have been branded at heir apparents for their generations. And I would say there is a generational shift, I would, uh, split. I would say Zverev, Medvedev, you know, Tsitsipas, that that's one Berrettini is one crew and then there's Sinner there's FAA there's Corda that's a separate crew but FAA and Zverev going head to head I'm excited for that one I mean where where else to begin Hatchinov versus Corda that one's going to be really really good RBA Shapovalov Rublev Fucevic part 22 uh Djokovic Gorin's the unexpected one but Federer Sanego will be fun I already talked Medvedev Hurkacz Berrettini Ivashka just up and down the board. I mean, you look at this. These should be your round of 16 players. And you look on the men's side again to get a Shapovalov and FAA mixed in. There. You know, there's 11 guys born 1995 or later on the men's side still alive. And on the women's side, it's not even the same comparison because to see names like Sabalenka, Rabakina, Sviantek, and Samsonova, Goff, Mukova, Bedosa, uh, Bardi, Krejcikova, who are all born, Radikanu, who are all born 1995 or later, that's the standard in the women's game over the past few years. But it's happening on the men's side as well. Again, further solidifies the argument I was trying to make yesterday. Generational shifts are on hand on both the men's and women's tours. We're seeing them unfold here at these Grand Slams. Now, again, Djokovic is still the prohibitive favorite on the men's side, but women's side feels wide open. And who is going to be the person who gives Djokovic the biggest push? That question remains wide open on the men's side as well. It's all setting up to be a fantastic week, too.
at this 2021 Wimbledon. And of course, if you've missed out on any of the action, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f- of editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Worth plugging, GSP Ace of the Day podcast. Obviously, we had Sunday off. We'll be back Monday to continue our picks for week two. Was a good week one, folks. 12-7-3 overall. 12 wins, 7 losses, 3 outstanding bets. We're up 6.83 units through week one. And we all know the deal. Be- oh, no, no, I didn't even include today's matches, did I? So we're now 14-9, and nine, and we're up, what, 14-9, and 2-1-1, uh, one and one, that last one was 14-9, and nine, so we're up a little bit over 7 units, yeah, up a unit a day through week one. We'll take it, right? It's, it's paying the bills. It's that side cash you need. That's why we're doing this, taking advantage of the fact that we're the most well-informed, well-educated fan base in the business. But again, you want to hear those picks every day. GSP Ace of the Day podcast each night. You want more coverage, match of the day for our Patreon subscribers. A shout out to them, as always, by the way, for their continued support. But with all of that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Sligier and Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>